welcome to Bunta Vista, episode 171. And today, we are here in the worst place on earth. This is a place of torment and suffering, where the wicked are punished for their sins. Lost souls wander the halls, subsisting on nothing but the dust of ages. I read to you now an account from John Zephaniah Holwell. This was a strongly barred room, and was not intended for the confinement of more than two or three men at a time. There were only two windows, and thick iron bars within impeded ventilation. The visitors were packed so tightly that the door was difficult to close. One of the attendants stationed outside was offered $1,000 to have them removed to a larger room. He went away, but returned, saying it was impossible. The bribe was then doubled, and he made a second attempt, but with a like result. The manager was asleep, and no one dared wake him. By nine o'clock, several had died, and many more were delirious. A frantic cry for water now became general. One of the attendants, more compassionate than his fellows, caused some water to be brought to the bars where Mr. Holwell and two or three others received it in their hats and passed it to the men behind. In their impatience to secure it, nearly all was spilt, and the little they drank seemed only to increase their thirst. Self-control was soon lost. Those in the remote parts of the room struggled to reach the window, and a fearful tumult ensued, in which the weakest were trampled or pressed to death. They raved, fought, prayed, blasphemed, and many then fell exhausted on the floor where suffocation put an end to their torments. About 11 o'clock, the visitors began to drop off fast. At length, at 6 in the morning, the manager awoke and ordered the door to be opened. Of the 146, only 23, including Mr. Holwell, from whose narrative published in the annual register in the Gentleman's Magazine for 1758, this account is partly derived, (laughs) remained alive, and they were either stupefied or raving. I am, of course, describing Chemist Warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) This severe concrete, I mean, the Euclidean anti-Tardis is smaller on the inside than on the outside. It's synonymous in Australia with cut-price pharmacy goods and psychological warfare enacted by unknown overseers upon any who dare to shop there. I'm Theo, and I'm currently experiencing <laughs> ego death, attempting to locate a number one baby bottle nipple compatible with the Philips Aventi system. <laughs> with me today is Lucy, who is lining up to her prescriptions for diarrhea and anti-diarrhea medicine filled. The line is so long it stakes out of the door and originates in a completely separate chemist warehouse, and a stein stating wait time one day is staked nearby. How are you, Lucy? Oh, I'm great. I'm just having the regular chemist warehouse experience that we all know and love. (laughs) A normal experience that you get every time you go to this place that you keep going to for reasons that have... Well, they've got cut prices. You know, the prices here, they're great. You can't beat them. It's so cheap. And all you've got to do is go a little bit insane every time you step into a store. Yep. Um, Also here is Ben, whose edibles are just kicking in, causing the walls to appear to be closing in, which they are. (laughs) As he reaches Ned Flanders style down a narrowing Escher-esque hallway towards a box of powdered condoms for his magnum dong. (laughs) How are you, Ben? What can I say? I like them dry. (laughs) (laughs) Have we ever mentioned the thing about how every chemist warehouse has a giant piece of text on it that says Australia's cheapest chemist? Uh, And then when you get close to the building, it becomes visible that written in very, very tidy letters to the left of Australia's cheapest chemist are the words, is this? With a question mark. (laughs) It is absolutely baffling that they have managed to get away with that. Oh, wow. that is incredible. One of the many tricks that the <laughs> <laughs> mischievous goblins that administer the chemist warehouse. 
will enact on their customers. And finally, of course, Andrew was also here, strapped into a chair by CIA agents and being subjected to four separate ads for skin lotion for the elderly from four separate TVs and four separate soundtracks as the overhead lights flicker endlessly. He's finding this to be not ideal. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, but they won't let me close my eyes voluntarily. (laughs) (laughs) It's upsetting to me. Uh, Nobody likes to have their eyeballs touched directly. No. As they put in the little clockwork orange style hooks, you know? No, but also where we're going, uh, you won't need eyes to see. And (laughs) where we're going is Chemist Warehouse. The good thing is so that um, as your eyes are forcefully held open, you do need some saline type drops to keep them moisturized. And they have them here at a great price. If you can find them. If you can find them, which I cannot. My no. eyes are so dry. No, you need the, the savant from the cube mm. to <laughs> decode cube, the that's system. A, that's that movie where that guy gets cubed, right? That's right. Mm. Uh, no, actually, I was wrong about that. He No, he does get cubed, but I was wrong that he gets cubed by lasers. He, gets, he actually gets cubed by sharp wire. Oh, like um, a fine mesh. Resident um, Evil. You're is thinking the movie of a Resident which, Evil situation. Yeah, a, a man is cubed by lasers. <laughs> and Resident Evil is not called Cube. That's no. very confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> Despite the presence of cubes. <laughs> All right. Well, so from from the, the worst place on earth mm-hmm. to the happiest place on earth, um, and I'm just going to throw it to whoever because I didn't get a good answer on who was actually running this thing. So that's me. That's ah. me. Remember Andrew? Uh, <laughs> I me do in the chair. remember Andrew. Me in the chair. I can hear my eyes as I look around. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be able to hear them. Why do they have four? Why do they have four TVs up the front? Why do they have anything? I don't know how to describe Chemist Warehouse no. to our international listeners, but I'm, it is just I'm a place of lying. chaos. I am not lying when I say there is four TVs in like the little lobby maze that they make you navigate it is a maze. To, to pay for your goods. And every and aisle is too long and too narrow. <laughs> and, and you might think to yourself, well, I might get, you know, a brief bit of respite if I look upwards. But instead, they have dangled a series of banners yeah. um, hanging down, just kind of making you feel oppressed vertically as well as horizontally. Yeah, and, and so they, are, they are hanging from load-bearing electrical cables. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Now, you might want to go to the happiest place on Earth, um, corporate megalith Disneyland. But unfortunately for some people, even that has been taken away from them. Oh, no. Not my Disney. Oh, no. Disneyland. And by some people, I mean the worst people. (laughs) This is is from the LA Times, and I think this is something that is kind of equally perplexing to all of us on the show. Uh, It has been 214 days since Disneyland closed. For these super fans, it is agony. It's been 214 days since Disneyland closed and Stacey Major is struggling. I haven't been to Disneyland in seven months, (laughs) said Major. A 32-year-old high school teacher. (laughs) 32-year-old high school teacher. I'm already already gone with this one. This has been me longest stretch since 2012. <laughs> longest stretch since 2012 by not going to Disneyland in seven months. Mm-hmm. She's not alone. When the coronavirus pandemic forced the park to close in March, it left thousands of its fervent fans, annual pass holders who spend 400 to $1,500 a year to visit the park on a weekly basis. Mm. But how do you put a price on happiness? 
without between four hundred and fifteen hundred dollars. I, th- I think the, the phrasing here seems to be quite accurate. Um, without a beloved escape from reality, <laughs> spending $1,500 a year f- to escape reality. Uh, being a single mum and a teacher means I have a lot of adult responsibilities, said Major, who visits Disneyland at least once a month, and even toured the park in a wheelchair when she was eight months pregnant. Mm. What, can you, what can you even do? Like... You can't go any rides on that point at that point, right? You're mm. just like watching the parades, which is the. I can't even imagine what <laughs> sort of personality is like. Oh boy, a parade! I'm 32. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Stacy will describe her personality for you. Quote: I am a very Type A personality and can't relax. Mm. For me, mm-hmm. <laughs> Disneyland is a stress release. It's very freeing for me to be there for a day. I can watch parades and be with my friends and not feel any pressure. Might I suggest, as I often do on this radio program, going to therapy. (laughs) I would maybe suggest try smoking weed. It's very cheap. You can do it in your house. You don't have to go to... like. We've got theme parks here in Australia. They're kind of shit, but they're there. It is like Sometimes a- you get decapitated at them. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, Very four occasionally. people will die uh, when their river thing goes upside down. Uh, like, it's a hassle to go to them. Like, the yeah. parking is a fucking mm. nightmare. The weights are insane. It's super expensive. It's like hell. Going yeah. to the- It's like a whole fucking day. It's not something you can, like, casually dip your toe into and be like, oh, I'm going to go to Movie World for half an hour. That'll be fun. I, but but as I understand it, for Disneyland, you have to go to a completely different city, and that city is there for Disneyland. That's the yeah. Disneyland city. Mm-hmm. At least this, you only have to go as far as the Gold Coast, which you know in itself is pretty bad. But. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think our theme park experiences are by and large like uh, very very elementary compared to things like Disneyland. Um, but yeah, like like you're saying, that just means that the the horrifying nightmare parking lot is actually one sixteenth of the size of a Disneyland one. Yeah, right. Unless they have the most incredible like infrastructure and everything in the world, which I it's don't Florida. Know. So maybe they is it Florida or California Disneyland? Oh, we're talking California. Disney, okay. Disney World is Disney is World. Florida. I'm never going to remember which one's which. No, and there is no reason why you should. No, it doesn't matter. That's why it was helpful for them to call it Euro Disney. If you're in California, you can just go to Knott's Berry Farm. What is wrong with you? Why is this such a... Go this is a, a recurring point for you. Really? Just, talking a lot about Knott's Berry Farm. Real Knott's Berry Farm head <laughs> over here. I'm a bit here. of a... Look, <laughs> I love, I love a roller coaster, all right? It's a, I hate I've, a roller coaster. I don't you like hate a roller coaster? Co- what the I fuck? hate a roller coaster. No, I love you. a roller coaster. Oh, I get spooked damn. on them. I don't want to be spooked. <laughs> they are like, a bit scary. You ever notice how those roller coasters are quite scary? They're scary. That's not fun. It's not fun to be scared. I have a I have a long swan, swan-like neck, and I do not like to be ratcheted <laughs> from side to side oh, with on. pressure. I do not care for it. I, I, I now have three babies in my life. <laughs> I, I also here's here's my other issue. At some point in my adult life, I have done something bad to like my inner ear. Oh no! I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but. Um, like uh, our, our kids had a, a school fate thing a while ago and there were like teacup rides at it and um, you know of course they want to go on it and it means that an adult has to go on with them and it's just like small child's teacup ride where you're turning around in circles the whole time and they get off and go that was fun and I get off and go 
Uh, yeah, not for me. No hate that shit so much. Very bad. But hey, what if you could go once a month? But I mean, whenever I've gone to a theme park, even like Universal Studios in Japan, you're waiting so long to go on a ride. Like you're spending a lot of your day in lines waiting to get on any ride because there's a million people there. Like how much stress can you be releasing at Disneyland really? Or that you say I, that. Are you jacking I've... off in the line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that, but I've been proposing to Caitlin for like five years now that we go to, to like Movie World on a Wednesday during mm. a work week. And she thinks that is a pervert's idea. Oh, no, I mean, I've, I've done it before. It's, it's better. It's better than the alternative. That's for sure. Yeah. It is, it is the absolute pro move to go to any of these places like way outside of tourist season mm. and in the, oh, middle, in the middle of the week when school holidays are not on. Um, that is the only circumstance under which I would do any of these things. I went to Disneyland, uh, which, whichever is the one in California, uh, when I was maybe like 12 or 13 or something. We, we went over to America for a holiday um, where we like landed in California, uh, rented an RV and then traveled around for like six weeks. Um, but we started in, why is that funny? <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, I just saw, uh, I just saw one of those, uh, Garfield throw it out the window comics where, so he says, Garfield, it's a beautiful day. I'm putting you outside. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets thrown out the window Really enjoying those lately Oh, they're so good Everyone is very satisfying <laughs> um, So yeah, we went and did that It was very nice We got to see like Yosemite National Park And drive through Death Valley And all that sort of thing But we started in California So we went to Disneyland And I think like It was, it was sort of over Christmas So even though we were in California And it was just California temperature Like it is all year round To them, that's winter mm-hmm. Um and I think it was, like, not school holidays. And it was, like, very lightly raining that day. So, there was, like, almost nobody at the park. And that's it. That's prime conditions. Walking up and waiting uh, behind two people to get on to the... What's the fucking Disney thing? The the fucking Disney thing? The fucking Disney thing. Disneyland. This was the, the, the uh-huh. early 90s one. The, the one <laughs> Disney thing they had where you, you go and get into a big cube. What? Just, like, from Cube. <laughs> And then there's a movie screen at the front. I don't think you've ever been to Disneyland. I have no idea what's happening. I I think you went to Cube Land. (laughs) (laughs) I just went to the cube from the movie Cube. (laughs) Didn't get cubed, though, like in Resident Evil. So you go into a cube. Went to a big cube. (laughs) And then there's a movie screen. There's a movie screen. And it's playing Disney um, movies. Well, it plays plays like, you know. The movies. I did not go to the movies. (laughs) Even though you sit in cinema style seats. <laughs> oh, just your parents being like, "Yes, young twelve-year-old Andrew, we're taking you to Disneyland." <laughs> <laughs> That's just a cinema. <laughs> they made me wear a blindfold from the car till we were inside Disneyland. <laughs> Disneyland smells a lot like popcorn. Very popcorny place. <laughs> so you're in this big cube, and, uh, <laughs> but but the entire thing is on like gigantic hydraulic. Uh, uh, what lifter sort of things. Mm. So as it's showing you a, ooh, you're in a spaceship and flying around, and there's R2D2. Uh, the entire thing moves around to make you feel like you're flying, even though uh. if you're in space, it probably wouldn't feel like that, you know. Oh, you're in the RV from Community. Yes. yes. 
so that's that's the way to go to a theme park. You don't <laughs> want to be doing what Lucy's describing and like literally waiting for an hour and a half to go on a ride. Mm. That is insanity to me. It's also just like my platonic ideal of the worst way to spend a day. I hate waiting in lines. It it causes some sort of very specific anxiety in me. Uh, I become furious mm. while waiting in long lines, especially because most of the time I've, I've stayed at this position on this show before. Um, most of the time I'm just like, there's no reason for me to be doing this. I can deal with it when I'm like, um, I'm perfectly happy waiting for a long time at somewhere like say a hospital <laughs> where, mm. where you actually have to be there for a reason. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait until a doctor is ready so that I don't die now. All that kind of stuff. But when you're at Disneyland waiting for an hour to go on a ride, it's like, you know what I could be doing? Anything else. Jacking off. I could be jacking mm-hmm. off in this line. I could be smoking weed in the car park. <laughs> Just about anything would be better than waiting in oh, line all day. Like a sad dad smoking weed in his car <laughs> in the Disneyland car park while his family is inside. It's such a great mental image. I wouldn't be sad. Sure. There's <laughs> <laughs> a fucking sign in the window being like... The air conditioning is on. <laughs> he's listening to his favorite he's, music. He's happy. He's happy. Leave him alone. <laughs> he's just so- <laughs> There's a, yeah, there's a sign that says like the air conditioning is on and he is very high and listening to Genesis. Like, everything's fine. <laughs> He's everything's jacking, fine. jacking off so much the uh, all the windows are fogging up and he just puts the like Titanic hand up. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see more about why these psychos want to go to Disneyland. Against the backdrop of a pandemic, it's easy to understand why people miss Disneyland. For more than 60 years, the theme park has been the ultimate social and fantasy experience. (laughs) Of all of human experience, that's the pinnacle. That is the the ultimate social and fantasy experience. The ultimate social experience is waving at the, at like, the guy, the the university student in the big Mickey Mouse costume. (laughs) And the ultimate fantasy experience is imagining that you are fucking the big Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Fucking... Goofy gives goofy. you a thumbs up and you're just like, this is as good as life gets. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. You're George Keith. This it's is imagine- just as perverted as hedonism too, I'm going to say it. Yes. <laughs> it has the same hallmarks of being like, holy fuck, this is insanely expensive. And you do this like 12 times a year and this makes mm. you happy somehow? Very strange. Then you got to take a break and go and like, um, go and pay $40 for lunch you know, for one person. Mm-hmm. It evokes warm memories of simpler times and allows us to experience childlike thrills regardless of our age i might debate that it it allows some people to experience childlike (laughs) thrills regardless of their age which is definitely why these people like it how about this i don't think i was ever thrilled as a child (laughs) (laughs) how about um it allows childlike people to experience thrills regardless Mm. of their age got them this is like just a few steps away from like diaper play like, it's just, <laughs> it's so close to it. Yeah. But now that many of us are working from home and self-quarantining, those thrills are difficult to find amid the fear of the coronavirus, economic distress, and prolonged isolation. For Disneyland enthusiasts, the thrill is gone. The park is closed. The magic is missing. How to keep going when the happiest place on earth is closed? Oh, I've become suicidal going. because Disneyland shut its doors because of a pandemic. Oh... <sighs> Quote, 
I've been watching videos of Disneyland parades on YouTube and crying, Major oh, said. goodness. Don't even need to open the big DSM book for this one. Like, <laughs> just, you've got some problems. Wow. Uh, I would dispute this next sentence. In other words, fans are coping by finding creative ways to keep the magic alive. What, watching YouTube and crying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is magical. <laughs> so creative. Uh, consulting Disney-inspired cooking blogs, participating in Disney-bound costume challenges on TikTok and Instagram, watching Disney Plus, <laughs> creative, <laughs> hosting outdoor movie nights and stay-at-home Disney days. Jesus Christ. People miss theme parks because they produce, quote, psychosocial engagement and it keeps us on a high and our blood pumping, said Orange County certified life coach Anita Conti. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Don't or- say those words to me. <laughs> Orange County Certified Life certified Coach. Certified Life Coach. That's a great sentence. Oh, and it gets even better. What's uh-huh. the end of that sentence there, Andrew? <laughs> Author of Behaving Bravely, How to Mind Shift Life's Challenges. Oh, you know, You know, by <laughs> being super brave, by uh, putting off adulting one day a month and going to a theme park. Mm. Oh, I can't hear you. I'm mind shifting into the magical <laughs> kingdom. Oh, the Orange County Certified Life Coach said, Being surrounded by crowds is exciting and makes us feel like we're part of a group and a community. (laughs) It produces temporal endorphins and instills happiness that's hard to replicate. Disneyland checks every box when it comes to human sensory needs and desires. The smells, the tastes, (laughs) sounds, and experiences. You can get all of that in one environment. I hate all of those things oh. of, of a theme park. <laughs> yep. No one likes the way a theme park smells, tastes, or sounds. If you say <laughs> any differently, you are a fucking liar. <laughs> those are all things that you put up with to get on the fast ride that mm-hmm. goes fast. That, that's it. The Just- smells of the bathroom. The tastes of the safety rails on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love the claim that it checks every box, every single box of the human experience. Just mapping, like, Disneyland against the entire Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Please just have sex just once. It's free. Just get sucked off one time and be like, wait, wait a second, Disneyland doesn't do this. (laughs) Holy fuck. I've got a million dollar idea. (laughs) Still, for the tens of thousands of visitors who flock to Disneyland every month, the park is more than just Mickey-shaped delectables. What the fuck is a Mickey-shaped delectable? (laughs) Uh, They're referring to ecstasy, I think, actually. (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean and phantasmic fireworks. There are dapper days and swing dances. Mm. High school marching band performances. It gets worse. <laughs> Birthday parties and anniversary celebrations. You can even get married at Disneyland. Don't, though. <laughs> Please don't. You can get married anywhere you like. Yes, it's you can. Can't you, Lucy? You sure can. <laughs> Scattering cremated ashes, a misdemeanor, is not allowed in the park, although it's rumoured to be a popular covert activity. <laughs> oh. Scattering ashes at Disneyland. <laughs> Just a uh, Shawshank Redemption style, shaking the ashes out of the bottom of your trousers. <laughs> Dumping grandma's body off the top of Magic Mountain. Sitting sitting up the front of the roller coaster Just and opening, opening the, the top of the urn just as you go down the big peak. <laughs> Blinding 40 <laughs> children instantly. <laughs> 
all Grandma of them is up a part of you all Grandma. now. <laughs> <laughs> Disneyland is a community, said Cameron oh, Keegy, a psychotic 30-year-old <laughs> Apple salesman who visited the Anaheim theme park 123 the times <laughs> last year. 123 times. <sighs> Do you have a job? Oh, he's an Apple oh, salesman. Oh, he's an Apple, an Apple salesman. salesman. <laughs> uh, this is Apple with a capital A, by the way. It's not a guy that just sells specifically <laughs> the fruit. An Apple Roadside Apple salesman. <laughs> I'm just oh, I'm imagining um, this guy at work every quarter just being like, I got to hit that fucking quota. I got to crush sales, hit that bonus. Then I got all the more money to spend at Disneyland. <laughs> Before the park closed, Kigi visited Disneyland three or four times a month. During quarantine, Kigi has kept himself busy by making Star Wars videos. He is certified to represent the Stormtroopers as a member of the Volunteer 501st Legion. They have used the word <laughs> certified two times in this article in ways that I find very perplexing. <laughs> oh God. You're not like certified to use a forklift. You're <laughs> like, uh, that's, that's, you need a different word for that. Uh, he hosts Disneyland trivia nights on Zoom and transforms his backyard into a jungle cruise meets Adventureland hangout. Think fire pit and bamboo fencing. Mm-hmm. So Since he's a rich guy. He's a rich kid that has a part-time job so that he can go to Disneyland. Since we have to be home, why not bring some of the Disney magic here? Kiggy said before being visited by Disneyland lawyers immediately got <laughs> to shut down his backyard. <laughs> Using an orbital laser to destroy anything he has in his backyard that might infringe on Disney's copyright. <laughs> Creating Disney magic extends to Disney bounding, which sounds a lot like a sexual thing to me. It I really does. heard that word for the first time not two days ago when friend of the show, Ben Juggles, introduced me to the concept. Oh, Very I strange. unfortunately know a lot about all of this you disgusting <laughs> behaviour. Uh, it is a subtle costume trend of dressing like a Disney character using clothes from the closet. Disneyland does not allow guests 14 and older to wear costumes. Good. <laughs> that is a but great I'm sensing rule. A, I'm sensing a theme here of adults doing the things that children used to do because they didn't know any better. But just continuing that mm-hmm. well, because forever. It's, it's an activity for children? For an activity for children. So you're not allowed to wear a costume to Disney lest you be... Mistaken for the real Goofy. Oh, but you, yeah. can be, you can be subtle about it. You can though. be subtle, Goofy. Yeah, you can wear. You can catch Goofy's drip, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then be like, "I'm, I'm not really Goofy, but I'm big Goofy." You can you Donald can Duck it. You can wear one shirt to have Goofy's dick. <laughs> putting, putting on, putting on my dungarees, my funny little hat. Getting hit with a mallet so that I get the big lump at the top of my head. <laughs> Is there any rule against uh, Winnie the Pooing? <laughs> Donald, Donald Ducking. Ducking. Uh, yeah, just getting out my, before I head into Disneyland, getting out my black grease paint and doing my entire body <laughs> for saying, oh, oh, shucks, as security throws me out of the venue. Get it, just having them ask you to say gorsh less enthusiastically. That's <laughs> oh, too close. Gorsh. There we go. Uh, it's definitely a creative thing, said Sophia Hotchkiss, who is 15 and loves to dress up as Stitch and Ariel, among other characters. It's a really cool way to express something that you love. I agree, yep. child. Yep. That's, That's 15. 15. Sophia Hotchkiss. Go for it. Congrats. That's great. Another Disney bounder, Lauren Gabagool, 29, <laughs> <laughs> showcases her outfits on her popular Dresses and Capes Instagram account. 
It's a creative outlet for me, she said. When I heard that the new Ariel would be a black princess, I cosplayed her immediately. There is a very active black nerd Disney community that I am a part of, and I'm trying to inspire others. I want everyone to know that they could be a Disney princess. When I was growing up, I didn't have that. All right, for Gabrielle, fair enough. That's fine, though, right? Like, that's, that's not as totally creepy fine. as the other people who are just being, like... Having a hobby is fine, but yeah. uh, complaining about how your life is in shambles because you can't go to Disneyland every week is very depressing. Very strange. Well, I have this thing as a creative outlet as opposed to I have been watching parades on YouTube and crying. <laughs> yes. That's... Come on now. Uh, for Gabrielle, Disneyland is where she socializes with friends and decompresses after a stressful day at work. Normally, I would go at least once a week or twice a week, she said. Holy fuck. I can't even get to the bar once a week. Mm. Mm. On my way home from work... <laughs> you know when you're driving home from work and you're like, I think I will stop off at one of the world's largest theme parks? <laughs> I think I'll spend half an hour finding parking and then wait in line to get in. And- yeah, I'll, I'll just stand in a line and move five meters and then look at my watch and like, whoop, time to go home. <laughs> Um, on my way home from work, I'd often start at the park and meet a friend. Stop at the park and meet a friend. I miss the days of riding one ride, getting some popcorn and a churro, and leaving after the fireworks. Just being there makes me feel safe and happy. I attribute that to the cast members. So is this is this like the uh, like unlimited pass kind of thing that they were referring Has, to? I, I fucking so, hope yeah. so. Mm. Gabrielle said that Disney employees, among the most cherished talent pool in the service industry, contribute to the park's enchantment. They are magic makers, she said, as she fondly recalled the time a cast member performing as Jack Skellington gave her an honorary citizen of Disney badge. Oh, cool. (laughs) Let me tell you, that guy was being horribly underpaid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I do wonder. I do wonder, like, um, because I I don't really know anything about uh, Disney cast member people, like, from the parks, but I'm assuming it is a thing where it's, like, extremely hard to get into... Like a, a thing where you put a whole lot of effort into it and then they go, you are one of the rarest kind who gets to be paid $9 an hour mm. to do this 14 hours a day. <laughs> Brianna Simpson knows that if things were different, she would be eating corn dogs on Main Street, cracking jokes with cast member Dr. Facilier, <laughs> and creating content for her Eat See Magic online platform. Mm. Eat See Magic. Uh, wait, Theo, let me... Can mm-hmm. I, I'm, on, yep. I'm, on, <laughs> I'm on the magic diet. <laughs> uh, she started her Instagram and vlog because she did not see a lot of black creators who looked like her. But during the last few months, Simpson said her community has grown as a family. We do movie night events and not just for people of color. It's for everyone. Disney is a big melting pot for me. I want to spread joy to others who can't travel here. Recently, she recorded a freestyle rap, I Miss Disneyland, for its 65th anniversary and co-hosted a food challenge on Instagram that combined a Disney bounding with dishes from specific movies. Despite pressure from company officials, as well as politicians and the tourism industry, no one knows when visitors will be able to return to Disneyland. Even so, fans know that the magic of Disneyland can continue as long as, to quote Walt Disney, there is imagination left in the world. No, I would rather you didn't use your imagination. You need to come here and pay for us to use your imagination for you. (laughs) (laughs) Walt Disney prefers you to simply use your mind palace Mm. to visit Disneyland. We've done all the imagining for you. That's why you pay to come here. It's an adjustment, but we all have to make adjustments right now, Simpson said. 
I can't wait to get on the Indiana Jones adventure ride again. But until things return to normal, I'll just have to keep the magic of Disneyland alive at home. I've never been to Disneyland. Maybe it's a completely transformative experience. I'm sure it's pretty fun. Like, I'm sure you'd have a fun day. Have you been, Lucy? I haven't been to Disneyland, no. Okay. Oh, look, like, as theme parks go, it's clearly top of the heap, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I've, I have no idea what the uh, crazy, gigantic um, theme parks in, like, Abu Dhabi and stuff are like, where they've built entire new islands to build, mm. like, massive infrastructure of water parks and stuff on. I bet that's cool, but also I don't want to wait in the lines. <sighs> but while we're talking about theme parks... Let's learn about one of the most magical countries in the world, the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is from the website dutchnews.nl. Ten things you didn't know about the Efteling theme park. So this is obviously not news. This is just uh, a friend of mine. Funny to us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe to a handful of listeners. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who her parents are Dutch, she was talking about I don't even know why this came up, but she was just showing me pictures from this absolutely horrifying Dutch theme park that, uh, yeah, this article is great. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Okay, so these are some of the 10 things you didn't know about the Efteling theme park. A certain other magical kingdom may be the happiest place on Earth, but the Netherlands homegrown Efteling has been going strong since 1952. Located in the town of Ketjuville, the Mm -hmm. iconic Dutch theme park first opened its doors to the public on 31st of May 1952. As it approaches its 65th anniversary, just like Disneyland, Brandon Hartley lists some wild things you may not know about this world of wonders. (laughs) Walt's inspiration? A long-standing and oft-repeated legend claims that Walt Disney visited Efteling in the early 1950s and was inspired to break ground on his own theme park in California. How much of this is true and how much is fantasy? Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the initial conceptual drawings for Disneyland date back to at least 1948, and Uncle Walt's muses didn't hail from any one place. His park drew inspiration from everything, including Los Angeles' Griffith Park to Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen. However, there's at least a small possibility that he may have made it to Efteling, (laughs) so we're not even guaranteeing he went now. He maybe was there? Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. Who could say? <laughs> Walt and his family toured the Netherlands at least once in the 50s, but according to this old news clip, he was more focused on visiting the studio that was handling the Dutch dubbing for his company's film. So, the first factoid about this is like, <laughs> not true did at it all. inspire Walt Disney? No. <laughs> <laughs> no one can prove he ever even went here. <laughs> and I, I would also contend that the happiest place on earth for me would not be Disneyland, but in fact, just me going in sight unseen into the studio handling the Dutch dubbing for <laughs> Disney films. <laughs> just wandering the halls. To be a fly on the wall listening to them try and come up with the Dutch localised version of the names for everything, just be like, we should call this dwarf Rudel Fluffel. <laughs> Number two, a titan among theme parks. While Disneyland Paris continues to be something of a turpidog among European theme parks, Efteling has definitely come into its own over the past few decades. Disney's Imagineers even allegedly consulted the park's creative staff while they were plotting the construction of their resort in France back in the 80s. Yeah, we all saw how well that went. 
Since opening in 1952, Efteling has attracted over 120 million visitors. It's open year-round and hopes to average 5 million visitors annually by 2020. Well, I'm betting that mm. didn't work out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> to meet those numbers, it's been continually adding increasingly sophisticated attractions like Baron 1898. <laughs> <laughs> what? what the fuck is that? Uh, may I please go on Baron 1898? <laughs> <laughs> New. <laughs> An elaborately themed dive coaster that opened in 2015. Number three, a new realm of fantasy. The park's next major attraction is set to debut this summer as part of Efteling's 65th Jubilee. Dubbed Symbolica Palace of Fantasy, <laughs> it will feature 34 trackless carriages that will propel riders through an enchanting world along with Pardos, the happy-go-lucky jester <laughs> <laughs> that serves as Efteling's mascot. <laughs> Take that, Mickey. He's just wandering the, the streets of Efteling, pickpocketing. Got your wallet. Oh, I gotta see this guy. He doesn't throwing, get it throwing custard pies at heavily pregnant women. <laughs> uh, entertaining the children with comedic blackface performances. Oh, he's awful. He's awful. <laughs> Look at him. He's terrible. <laughs> Every single God, fuck uh, that. creature you hear named in this article, I urge you to Google if you're in a position to do it, because they are all horrifying. Oh, I hate him. <laughs> you know, um, so you know, you know, like what the what the costumed version of Mickey Mouse looks like when Mickey Mouse has been rendered in three dimensions. Imagine that, but the face was humanoid instead of cartoon mouse. Yeah, he's like a human Mickey Mouse with a Minnie Mouse esque girlfriend named Pardeen. <laughs> 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 Next fact, Ton van de Vin. When he was only 19, this young designer managed to jumpstart his career at Efteling after one of its creative directors supposedly asked him only a single question doing, during his job interview. Do you master perspective? Pardon? Do you master perspective? To which he, I assume, replied yes. He's like, you have the job. <laughs> you, have, you have the job. <laughs> You are now in charge of the park, 19-year-old. <laughs> oh, Van de Ven went on to become the park's most prolific designer to date and played a major role in the creation of... <laughs> Just give me a second to gather myself for this, please. <sighs> i got to have like three deep breaths. He went on to play a major role in the creation of popular, <laughs> popular attractions, including Spookslot... <laughs> Santa Morgana and Droomflukt. <laughs> Droomflukt. <laughs> oh. A portrait of him can be found in Villa Volta, the bizarre spinning madhouse that opened in 1996. <laughs> Just picturing the most chaotic theme park imaginable. <laughs> oh, no children permitted on Spook's lot. <laughs> oh. The room from the first saw is located <laughs> somewhere in Efteling. Uh, next fact. Who? If you grew up outside of Western Europe, which I did, you're probably unfamiliar with several of the magical characters that can be found throughout Efteling and Spruxibles, its famous 15-acre fairy tale forest. You just set children loose in this 15-acre forest. 15-acre forest. They never come back. Mm. See you in one month. <laughs> 
While you can enjoy recreations of moments from famous stories like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, they appear alongside Langneck and Holy Bolly Geese. <laughs> the former is a character from The Six Servants, one of the Brothers Grimm's lesser-known stories. He can make his neck grow to impossible lengths in order to see across long distances. Everybody knows Langneck, the Longneck pervert. <laughs> oh... Oh. oh my god. He represents the Netherlands' favorite pastime, peeping into girls' change rooms. <laughs> oh. Uh oh, it looks like you have been spotted by Langneck. You must pay him $3 now. Someone Three Dutch years. is going to get so mad at us. Oh. <laughs> Every every night, parents on their tenth floor apartment say to their kids, "Don't forget to close the curtains, or you might be spotted by Langneck." <laughs> oh, Geese, meanwhile, is a fellow with an insatiable appetite for children. <laughs> he can be found throughout Efteling at one of the many rubbish stations in various different guises. Where he continually begs visitors, visitors to feed him their trash. <laughs> this actually sounds oh, like the happiest rules. place on earth. Oh my god. His exact same aesthetic as that oh. comic that's just like, piss in my mouth. <laughs> After you hear him cry, Papi, you're here, you'll never forget it. No. Oh. Oh, good. The next heading is a very European theme park, oh, as geez. though the things we were so reading were like worldwide common occurrences. <laughs> Foreign visitors might also be surprised by some of the more risque stuff that could be found in a few spots around the park. Oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. The Ariel in the Sprukjebos seems to have misplaced her seashell bra and appears topless. It's just a titty mermaid. <laughs> It's a little something for daddy. <laughs> no a little matter, something for papa. <laughs> no, matter, no matter where Langneck is in the park, his head is six feet away from topless Ariel. Topless Ariel. <laughs> There's also Iseltiestrekje, who hails from Brothers Grimm story titled The Table, the Ass, and the Stick. He's Pardon? a donkey that can poop gold. <laughs> a statue. A statue. <laughs> In his honor can be found in a square within the fairy tale forest. In exchange for a euro, it'll shoot a plastic coin out of its ass. You won't find that at Disneyland Paris. You sure won't. <laughs> Probably for a good reason. <laughs> Nicotine free, mostly. <laughs> okay. It's chew only. <laughs> <laughs> and no one over the age of 14. You can have tobacco, but it must be snooze. <laughs> Handing out cans of dip to all the children as they come in. <laughs> Along with 21 other theme parks and tourist attractions in the Netherlands, Efteling bulked up its rules against smoking earlier this spring. Visitors are no longer allowed to light up while they wait in outdoor queues, but the park hasn't stamped out smoking entirely. Visitors can still enjoy their various tobacco products in other areas like the spooky balls, <laughs> but they're encouraged to do so in designated smoking areas. <laughs> this next one. Mm -hmm. Okay. We got there. The heading, a controversial cannibal. I, I just, I would really like everybody to absorb this sentence with me. Prepare. <clears throat> 
Monsieur Cannibal has drawn negative attention in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's also let loose in the Springtree Boss. <laughs> Good, good luck, children. It's a cannibal. Oh no! The attraction, which is similar to the Mad Tea Party ride at the various Disney parks, features cauldrons instead of teacups and a statue of a stereotypical African tribesman. Oh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no! Only took us like seven points to get to the racism. <laughs> Visitors spin around in the cauldrons while Monsieur Cannibal, a 1966 song by the French singer Sacha Distel, pours out of the ride's overhead speakers. Mm-hmm. So he's Gisella Williams, eat. a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, is just one of the attraction's naysayers. She received her first death threat after she wrote critically of the attraction in a 2014 article. Wow. <laughs> I will kill you for the cannibal. <laughs> Oh. Do not speak negatively of Monsieur Cannibal. <laughs> and finally, quieter corners. While many Efteling visitors spend their time visiting its larger attractions and talking as many sp- and taking as many spins on the Divlig and Hollander water coaster as possible, there are many corners of the park that are far more tranquil. Laughland <laughs> is a quaint village, a bit off the beaten path, path filled with. Cheerful robotic characters going about their daily lives. Pardon? Mm-hmm. Cheerful robotic characters going about their daily lives sounds so horrifying. Well, it sounds worse than anything world. I've read so far. <laughs> it's, yeah, it sounds like they exist outside of, you know, even when the park's closed, they're all just... <laughs> they're alive. Just alive. You are in Dutch Westworld. <laughs> Most days, it's a great place to get away from the crowds and enjoy a picnic or just a quick break while the other guests pass by on the visit- village's snail-powered monorail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They don't explain that any nope. further. <laughs> Dutch also technology. The, the Efteling Museum, which offers glimpses of everything from engineering sketches to retired animatronic characters. A few of the latter are somewhat unusual. I'll fucking bet they are. Yep. The, uh, Imagine uh, if if they're getting death threats for criticism of Monsieur Cannibal. Mm-hmm. I wonder in who got 2014. retired. In 2014. Imagine what the retired characters are. Mm. <laughs> oh, goodness. I urge you all to just, just Google some pictures from all of this. <laughs> Truly upsetting stuff. Efteling. <laughs> podcasts. They're nature's greatest natural resource, and it's important that they're harvested sustainably. Editing, production, fart sound effects. These are all important resources from our local ecosystems. That's why we're asking you to go to patreon.com slash Vista and pledge five US dollars a month to help support the healthy growth of a homegrown podcast like Bunta Vista. In exchange, you'll get an extra sustainably farmed episode every week, access to our Discord, and a naturally pristine, promo-free podcast feed. Thank you for helping look after one of nature's most precious resources. Now, on the topic of snail-powered stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, this does, of course, take us to Nature Corner. Country roads, take me home.
we got a voicemail the other day, which uh, I think was very worthy of a Nature Corner segment. Let's check it out. This is Mike Penance. Uh, one time in college, I woke up after a night of having fun and found the Google query, do snails have sex, in Safari on my phone. I don't remember why I looked it up. I've never found out the answer, and I'm never going to. What do you guys think? Thanks. Well, Mike Penance, uh, you got to find out today. That was Mike Pence. That was the, Mike the Vice President Mike Pence. Wondering <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mr. President, sex. sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, remember when the fly landed on his head? That's God. crazy. No, That's I didn't crazy. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs> so I started out trying to find out uh, about snails having sex. I Googled things like uh, snail mm. sex. And then you heard time. the voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> heard the voicemail, wiped all the sweat off my brow, and said, phew. An explanation <laughs> for, my, for, work. for my Google history. Um, so I did find out what snails do before they have sex. Snail for marriage, baby. <laughs> this is from the Wikipedia entry about love darts. Oh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a love dart is a sharp, calcareous dart which some hermaphroditic gland snails and slugs create. Love darts are both formed and stored internally in a dart sack. <laughs> <laughs> Got a big full dart sack. These darts are made in sexually mature animals only and are used as part of the sequence of events during courtship before actual mating takes place. The process of using love darts in snails is a form of sexual selection. Prior to copulation, each of the two snails or slugs attempts to shoot one or more darts into the other snail or slug. There is no organ to receive the dart. This action is more analogous to a stabbing or to being shot with an arrow. God damn. Oh, it's like Cupid's bow and arrow. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> they do look like, like a little harpoon. Oh. Uh, the dart does not fly through to the air to reach its target. It is fired as more of a contact shot. A contact shot being where, like, if you held the barrel of a gun up against somebody's <laughs> torso before pulling the trigger. <laughs> yep. Yep. Firing your love dart. Mm. The love dart is not a penial stylet. In other words, this is not an accessory organ for sperm transfer. Penial stylus is what I am referring to the penis as from now on. (laughs) The little dick. Penial stylus. The exchange of sperm between both of the two land snails is a completely separate part of the mating progression. Nevertheless, recent research shows that the use of the dart can strongly favor the reproductive outcome for the snail that is able to lodge a dart in its partner. Tell me about it. This is because mucus on the dart introduces a hormone-like substance that allows far more of its sperm to survive. Oh, it's literally Cupid's arrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the big love hearts pop up over their head after they get darted. Uh, mating begins with a courting ritual. For example, in land snails of the genus Helix, copulation is preceded by an elaborate tactile courtship. Uh, just like on The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. Right, Lucy? The two snails yeah. go for a helicopter ride. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge. <laughs> um, will you accept this love dart? <laughs> the two snails circle around each other for up to six hours, touching with their tentacles mm-hmm. and biting lips and the area of the genital paw. Oh, yeah. Mm. As the snails approach mating, hydraulic pressure builds up in the blood sinus surrounding the organ housing the dart. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Each snail maneuvers to get its genital paw in the best position. <laughs> Fellas, it do be like that, right? <laughs> Close to the other snail's body. Then, when the body of one snail touches the other snail's genital paw, it triggers the firing of the dart. Uh, and wow. guys, don't worry, that happens to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. Don't worry about it. As soon as it's actually kind of a poor, compliment. <laughs> <laughs> the darting can sometimes be so forceful that the dart ends up buried in the internal organs. Oh my god! It can it's hitting also- those back walls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it can also happen that a dart will pierce the body or head entirely and protrude on the other side. <laughs> what a way to go! <laughs> After both snails have fired their darts, the snails exchange sperm. It's beautiful. Mm. It's nice. Thank a you. Snail... And here's some of mine. And there you go. <laughs> uh, a snail does not have to fire a dart. Uh, the very first time it mates, because the first mating is necessary to trigger the process of dart formation. Oh, What's... so like, they're like vampires. Yes. Mm. <laughs> you have to be darted first. Mm. <laughs> and then you can dart anyone you want. Yeah. yeah. And then You're they can grow their own darts. buried behind a wall. <laughs> <laughs> we have to kill the head snail. Um, <laughs> once a snail has mated, it fires a dart before some, but not all, subsequent matings. A snail often mates without having a dart to use because it takes time to create a replacement dart. Uh, you have not yeah. finished crafting dart. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, the dart is shot with some variation in force and with considerable <laughs> inaccuracy. <laughs> Such that one third of darts fired either fail to penetrate the skin or miss the target altogether. Come on, learn to control your aim. Uh, snails have only very simple visual systems and cannot see well enough to use vision to help aim the They're darts. Just darting by feel. Just darting blind, you know? Darting like blind to, over here. Stabbing like in the dark. Yeah, they like to dart with the lights off, these guys. Uh, so then they do their exchanging of sperms. Um... But wait, I hear you ask. What about the much hornier slime creature? I'm hoping to catch up with him for a beer at some point. (laughs) (laughs) The leopard slug. Um, So this is from Wired. And I think a lot of the... A lot of the stuff here is fairly interchangeable between slugs and snails. uh, Except for the shell part, you know? So this is uh, from a column in Wired about uh, weird animals. Slugs are hermaphrodites. Not only does it take... Uh, Not only does it all but guarantee that any two sexually mature slugs can come together to make babies, it also means that when they do mate, both parties can end up fertilized. Imagine. Imagine. In fairness, though, the big disadvantage to hermaphrodotism... Hermaphrod... Oh, boy. That's a typo. Come on. Hermaphroditism? Mm. Is that it's more energetically costly to produce both eggs and sperm as opposed to one or the other. So when two leopard slugs find each other, they make their way up a tree and onto a branch. Here they curl around each other and ramp up their release of slime. (laughs) This appears to be a different formulation than your average leopard slug goo, according to Ben Rousen, a lime ecologist, and that is a slug scientist, uh, from the National Museum of Wales. The pair will then descend on a slimy rope. Mm -hmm. Quote, that rope of slime that they hang, com- hang from can be very strong, Rosen says. It's strong in the moment, but also when it dries out. It's a fairly tough structure, really. Still curled around each other, hanging and gently twirling, twirling towards freedom, <laughs> the slugs simultaneously unravel their alien blue penises, which come out of the right side of their head. Pardon? <laughs> hmm. 
They do this with hydrostatic pressure, pumping fluids into the penis to enlarge it more and more. Uh, the slugs use the same method for controlling their famous eye stalks. Huh. Quote, These penises, they start off small, but within a few moments, you can see just how big they are. They become almost bigger than the slugs themselves. Wow, growers. (laughs) (laughs) The penises are very mobile. It's almost as if they've got a mind of their own. Ain't that the truth, fellas? Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're quite complicated structures, and they move continuously and can change their form quite a lot. The old shape-shifting I really don't like that. Mm-hmm. No? I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> the penises... Can you make it into the key from Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The penises wrap around each other and they form this kind of chandelier configuration, which is very strange, with flaps around the edge with a frill on. And that can pulsate up and down and in and out as the slugs are rotating around. All the while, liquid is pumping into the hugging penises. (laughs) They're pushed out by the fluid inside the body, but these things are so big that I think they take up most of the fluid that's inside, Rosen says. So the rest of the slug looks a bit drained or flattened while all of the fluid is in the genitalia. Imagine having a giant dick, but your whole body gets mummified while you're using it. You just turn into like an empty skin suit with your massive erect penis. <laughs> Honey, it's time for your daily body flattening. <laughs> oh. When everything is sufficiently inflated, the transfer of sperm begins. And when everyone is sufficiently fertilized, the slugs will haul themselves back up the rope Although sometimes one partner will simply drop to the ground. Yeah, the male, am I right? Yeah, that's, that's me, all sweaty. <laughs> no, you, you go right on back up. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to lie down for a minute. Regardless, one of them will then consume the slime rope to recoup the resources lost in excreting it. I think I've seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of nature, you know. Pure efficiency. Pure efficiency. So what gives with such an elaborate method of mating? It may have been that bigger penises and leopard slugs granted their owners better reproductive success and therefore better chances of passing down their genes for larger genitals. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it's all about. Damn, you know? they got that thing on them. <laughs> that's what you did recently, right, Theo? <laughs> Pass down some genes for larger genitals? <laughs> yeah. Yep. The leopard slug penis got so big, in fact, that its owner has to rely on the laws of physics to unfurl it. Uh, quote, I think the gravity is essential to be able to get the penises out of the body, <laughs> says Rosen. I think it would be impossible for them to mate on a flat surface in the way that they do. Thus, the slugs opt to do their dangle dance of love. This strategy, however would seem to place the leopard slug in dangerous territory, what with predators like birds not exactly being blind and all. But not so, says Rosen. Uh, Quote, People tend to overestimate the extent to which slugs are eaten by other animals because they are fairly disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) And they mean morally. (laughs) (laughs) These nasty little freaks. Nasty little freaks. (laughs) Hanging on their little cum rope. (laughs) Pumping up their huge dicks. I won't get the taste out of my mouth for hours. (laughs) Uh, you know, you don't have, you don't have uh, mouthwash on you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when I've finished exchanging sperm and then I'm like, oh, 
Now I gotta eat it all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gonna you gonna eat that cumber? <laughs> you, uh, you wanna split a cumber? <laughs> Sizzling cumber for la- two. <laughs> the lady in the trap. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and that's about all I have on snakes, uh, snails fucking. Except for, uh, this isn't about them having sex, but do you want to hear the sound of a snail eating some lettuce? I really don't, but go on. Here we go. This is from a TV show called Brit Lab, <laughs> which is as gross as it sounds. You're going to be able to tell why it's called Brit Lab as soon as I start playing this audio for you. Now just one more animal to go. The snail. This one's moving. Like this one's actually, he's looking quite dynamic. So I'm going to move it in. Now, he's on his lettuce. He's probably happier, so let's... And breathe in. (laughs) You can actually hear it eating. It's fantastic. That's the best thing I've ever heard. It's really the best thing you've ever that's heard? That's the best I thing love. you've ever heard. <laughs> now, you may say, well, that's one disgusting sounding slug, but I would just say that's just how British people sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What a trip. What a journey we've been on this week, folks. Really learnt something. Learn a lot about um, the most disgusting creatures in the animal kingdom. And then when we were the finished Dutch. hearing about the Dutch, <laughs> we, we moved on to snails. <laughs> well, that's it for us, folks. Thank you very much for joining us this week. It's great to have Theo back um, after he's eaten his own cum rope and had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome your beautiful baby to the world. Uh, have fun squeezing more farts out of him, I guess. I will. Huh. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Enjoy squeezing out your own farts. (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.